This episode of Ticket Volume is brought to you by us, Invigate. Get service operations under control in no time. Get one free month of our software solution by going to try.invigate.com. Ticket Volume is proud to present an esteemed panel of four guests today. Good luck, Matt, trying to wrangle all these opinions. <laughs> we have Daniel Breston, a self-described old man of ITSM who is retired now, but doing what he wants, which is spending time helping IT folks with mental health issues. Joined by Simone Jomore, a leader in humanizing IT, a master of emotional agility and artificial intelligence, a recognized top 25 industry thought leader and women in DevOps designee. Joined by Jacob White, a passionate and results-oriented fractional head of customer success, a consultant advisor with a rich background in both sales and support. He takes immense pride in building up organizations from the ground up and optimizing existing teams for peak performance. And also Kinsey Clark, a leader with 12 years of strong team leadership program management, strategy, operations, communications, and technical experience that builds cust strong customer relationships, increases customer attention, and creates a successful win-win partnership with clients. Welcome to Ticket Volume Live, an opportunity to be the news and information for improving IT experiences. I'm your host, Matt Barron. Each week, I get to hype up leaders to share their insights on service management, technology, and business. And this episode is going to bring more of the same energy. I hope you've had a good week. And I also hope that you'll get involved today by asking a question in chat or providing your insights as we're speaking. So now let's begin. Welcome, Simone, Jacob, Kinsey, Daniel to Ticket Volume. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hola. Okay, Hello. excellent. Excellent. Thank you for taking some time to be here. And what a great topic. I've been um, racking my brain trying to find good questions. And so if you're in the audience today, please take a moment to put in a question because, of course, I've found some across the internet. But you know how the internet is. There's trash everywhere. So if you've got something you want answered or there's something you're looking to get out of this episode, throw it into chat. We'll see it no matter what platform you're on and we'll bring it in, bring you into the discussion. So let's get started with one of my questions right away because I hear this term all the time. In fact, we put it in the title for this episode and I have no freaking clue what it is. What is a staffing model? Who can answer that for me? I'll take the bait. Go for it, Kinsey, please. Um, so, a staffing model is something you use to plan and forecast staffing. Um, and I think there's a lot of different techniques to do that. Um, and it depends really on the maturity of the company, um, how detailed and how granular you want to get, and also like how predictable your future is. Um, but I, I think it's important to differentiate between kind of a staffing model, which is how you're going to grow and develop your organization over time, versus a staffing model that's used to plan shifts uh, and things like that. So I think there's two flavors of that, very different models. And I think they, they sometimes get confused. Sometimes uh, like C CFOs, resource managers want to know the staffing models, support leaders will show up with their staffing plan for the week or the month. And that's not necessarily what they're looking for. So I would argue a staffing models, again, it's how you model your staffing into the future, planning for growth, 
planning for additional hires? What what you, the requirements you have to 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 maintain a successful team? Okay, so so it's like it's like the algorithm. It's it's the it's the inputs, the metrics, the measures, the KPIs, and then what you're doing with your staffing is either trying to you know manipulate those things, reach success, or it's all the other stuff from this episode that follows this question, right? And that's the stuff that you're going to be putting into your staffing model. Is, is that does that seem fair? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to. I prefer not to drive mine with operational metrics. I really want to tie my staffing model to business outcomes mm. and like and then what the business is forecasting. Because if sales is predicting, you know, a massive jump of customers, I want to be prepared for that, and I also want to be aligned with that. And I think again, this is where uh, people, when you confuse your staffing model with kind of your staffing plan, uh, you can get into trouble. So it's really yes. important to align with business outcomes and business growth, because ultimately that's going to drive your resources, not so much how many, what your MTTR is or things like that. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I cool. think Kinsey has hit on a really important point because I've always looked at models with an art and a science. So there has to actually be you know, always driven by what's needed from the outcomes downwards but you know coming from also a high-end call center background of course we did go right into the deep science of things like the Erlang city models and things like that but i don't think you can be really good at those and successful at those unless you've considered all those different risk factors capabilities um how we actually bring teams to what what form the teams might take so there, there really is there there are formulas that work really well but if you don't know the top end stuff if you don't understand the business patterns and if you don't understand what they're trying to get out of it you are not going to meet those scheduling right down even to the shift level yeah Okay, that kind of makes sense because that's that's why we have all the measures that we have. I, I saw a post recently about uh, average handle time. It was the it was the leader of support for I think Sun Country Airlines, and he was talking about how he uses average handle time. And I beat up on that metric all the time because, of course, you know it, it's it's one of those tricky things. You don't necessarily want to share it because possibly people will lower their average handle time to the point where they're being rude to customers. But really. I think your point, Simone, is that you need to be aware of all the things that are happening so that it can influence your staffing model. And I, I think that's a great point. So let's move on to a new tip, because one of the challenges right now, one of the biggest challenges in our industry, I think anyway, or the thing that I keep hearing about is turnover and hiring. So let's do a round of everyone. What do you do about turnover? And we'll start with Mr. Jacob. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Turnover is obviously a, a, a difficult scenario, especially if, if you have high turnover. So um, um, really, it's just attempting to prevent as, as high of turnover as you possibly can from the get-go. I feel that is you know, obviously what you need to address. But if you are in the middle of high turnover, um, just ensuring that the existing team is is well supported and, and has enough uh, resources to to be successful in what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, resetting expectations for both yourself and upper management to ensure that, hey, we're understaffed temporarily. Uh, so therefore, everyone is on the same page of, of what's happening. And it can be better communicated to the customers, you know, if, if that was required or 
you know, any other any other need that you have to do, but just planning that out as best as you possibly can, uh, and then getting new hires on as quickly as possible so you can you can onboard them and get them to the appropriate levels of knowledge that you need them to be. Uh, and then, you know, it's always a good time to be looking for new tooling and other things that might be able to help alleviate some of the pressure that you could be having with a lower uh, lower head count than what you believe you need. So reanalyzing some of those processes and operations in that regard. Excellent response. Daniel, you've got anything to add? I, I'm going to go and flip the coin upside down. Before COVID, I agree with everything that Jacob just said. After COVID, we have this great redundancy that occurred where all kinds of people were made redundant and great resignation because people decided that with a couple of clicks, they could go and join somebody else in the digital universe. And now turnover is fluid because depending on what you want to do and the skills that you require, your, your turnover and your new staffing to fill those slots that open can, can just kind of occur because of what's happening in, in your environment. Mm. You know, if the British government all of a sudden says, well, this is what's going to happen and these are the new things that we're going to bring in and this is now going to be on our, you know, staffing or on our manifesto for our election next year, then all of a sudden everything that you thought you were going to do is no longer what you what you need to do to stay alive. So you, turnover to me is quite fluid and because of that, that the model that you have for your organization is like a piece of clay or maybe like the old Mission Impossible thing where, okay, this is what you need to do today. Let me go and get the pictures that I need or build the clay that I need to, you know, to be able to create what the organization will look like now based on skills and capabilities, not necessarily on numbers of people and what they cost. Wow. I think that's pretty forward looking as far as like thinking about skills and capabilities versus butts and chairs. That's a big shift over the last couple of years then. Simone, have you got something to add? Yeah, I mean, the thing I think people forget about, especially for um, service desk or call centers, like regardless of those front end teams that we're putting together, is a dynamic that it's ever changing. And that balance between automation and the desire for what's actually wanted by the business or by the customers. I mean, let's face it, you can't provide a $6 million service on $6. That mm. just doesn't happen that way. Uh, so I think they have to wake up to the reality of what the necessities are. And, you know, and also wonder at the amazing capability that actually lies within their people. Um, you know, if you want it to be sustainable, if you actually want to keep it. I, I ask all my guys all the time on the various courses and workshops, you know, did you, did you, you know, when you grew up, did you actually want to be a support center analyst? And it's it's not always a yes. A lot, a lot of people sort of fall into it. It's like, that. yeah, I want to be the doctor, the pilot, the fire, you know, whatever it is. It's like, uh, no, not necessarily. They don't necessarily go stay there, but I've had the opposite as well. I've had backend engineers that actually want to come onto the service desk now because of what's currently going on and how we're operating and what what's happening. So this is that whole thing about the dynamism and 
Thank you, Daniel. Upskilling, reskilling. If you want to be sustainable, you have to work on the fluidity, that dynamics of how we bring people in and how we bring them in, how we take them. Oh, okay, I was going to say that in a very... Take them out with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the way I meant it. Um, but it was, um, you know, how we actually help them leave is the better way of saying that. How we help them leave is just as important as how we help them come in. So we have to have that pro the full, complete program for that dynamic, ever-changing balance. Yeah. Yeah. The phrase, if you love them, set them free comes to mind. The best man, one of the best managers I've ever had, Shane Carlson said that to me and I'll, yeah. I'll never forget it because he, he wasn't wrong. Kinsey, what have you got to add about, um, about turnover? Yeah, I, I think earlier, um, in my career, I embraced it and I saw it as a way to kind of cycle people through the organization. I, I see support is often, and service desks are often places where people start their careers in a company, especially if they're not deeply technical or, you know, marketing or something like that. So it's a great place. So I really try to position my organization as a talent generator. Um, and I think that worked well in certain environments, like early mid-stage startups. I will say my last round, I focused a little bit more on trying to prevent turnover um, and I think was largely successful. I mean, just through all the reasons we've just talked about, but I, I, I think there's some situational, um, yeah. analysis that has to be done and, and do you want to embrace it and, and use it as a tool, um, and then plan for it. I think that's the key thing is if you, if you are, uh, experiencing turnover, like build plans for it and kind of assume it's going to happen rather than be surprised by it. Um, and that's what I would, that's what I've done in the past. Just make sure I was prepared for turnover and how to plan for it. Yes. It's one of those things that we need to do to be prepared for VUCA, for that volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity of our new world. I think, I think the point that Daniel made is, is totally relevant. Like it can be as fast as two clicks to find a new job. So just know that turnover is going to be there, plan for it as best as you can. And hopefully you're doing the right things to make to make work fun. So people want to be there. Okay. So let's talk about understaffing and overstaffing, because I think this is a huge thing when it comes to, to staffing models. You know, you look at all the metrics, you look at your coverage hours, you look at 24 hour support, global support. And, and then you, you think about headcount. What is the right amount? Do you, um, I would love to hear if one of you just raise your hand, if you've got experience about, um, going from being understaffed to being overstaffed and how you balance that. Don't all raise your hand at once. I all want right. the C-level version. Come on, Dan. You want the what? So, yes. I, I have a problem with the phrase understaffed and overstaffed. Mm. Because then you're starting to talk about, you know, what I call the Goldilocks syndrome. Yeah. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Or is it just right? And the question is, you know, we're back to what Kinsey and Jacob were, were mentioning and Simone have, have been mentioning, you know, is I don't know what right looks like tomorrow. If I know what right looks like tomorrow or next month, 
I need to go buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> because I'm that good. Yeah. Okay. And, and, the, and, and the question is, and I like what Quincy was saying about, you know, is there a way for us to be able to say, we're going to put you on the bench. And that doesn't mean that we don't love you, dear. But what, what we want from you instead is we want you to help us make sure that some of the things that we're doing right now are correct. So get rid of all the old garbage data or documents or whatever that we have. Okay. And, and in the meantime, can you go and update your architect certificate for cloud models? Or can mm. you go and help us look at an AI chat GBT strategy strategy? And the moment that we think that you have the right skills again, and, the, and, and you give those skills, you, you can use the professional services management framework from, and you know, this is an unshaped plug for ITSMF, or from the skills framework in, you know, in, in initiative that's worldwide, you, you can use that to really see what is it that you want to do today versus what you want to do tomorrow. And what do you need to do that? And, and I think that's what, you know, Kinsey is driving for and some of you know all of us are driving for really is you know this under and overstaffing that's got to go now the business case for I need this many people for this for this project that's like yesterday I like that it's a completely different look at it and I, I think when I was hearing your response I, I'm thinking okay well yeah that totally makes sense you've got the the call volume specifically daily work, I'll say. And then you've got project work and learning on top of that. And it's like, you can tell you're understaffed if they aren't investing in themselves, if they aren't able to contribute in those projects anymore, because they've got a huge backlog of tickets or queue uh, to, to manage. Well, but, 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 let's, but let's look at that for a second. I think all of us will agree that the only place in IT that has the truth is the service desk. Mm. They know all the good stuff and all the bad stuff, all the good people and all the bad people, all the good vendors and all the bad vendors, because that's all they do all day long. So if you use them in a way that encourages your organization to get their head out of their backside, out of the sand, okay, out of the sand and actually let your service desk fluctuate as part of a team of individuals that is managing and creating a service or a product, okay, then your service and product is going to grow daily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if it just becomes a piece of work on a Kanban board or as part of your value stream map or, you know, whatever visual tool that you guys use. And I think that's the, that, that's the trick that, that a lot of people miss now is their service desk is way over here somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it Segmented. ought to be like front and center. It ought to be where the CIO, you know, and I can name CIOs that spend on average, they have their own metric, you know, three to four hours a week in the service desk. Okay. Well, I, think under, I think under hire, Again, I, I, I'll, I agree and take an issue with that because at the end of the day, you're given resources. So unless you're running the company, um, you're really not in a position to determine 
over hiring and under hiring. And there's cases where you're given probably too many resources and you hire and then you have to lay people off because the business got over its skis. So I think the key is, again, it's to stay aligned with the business priorities. Like I can't under hire. I can only hire what the resources that have been given to me, but I can make a case and I can connect my outcomes to certain business drivers. So again, I, you know, my last company, I really tried to draw a strong correlation between staffing and customer satisfaction. So, Hey, if you want to cut some people, that's fine. I mean, I don't love cutting people. That's not what I wanted to do, but that's, that's a business case, right? So like, these are going to be the outcomes if you reduce the staffing of my team. Yeah. Um, conversely, if you increase the staffing of my team, these are some outcomes we can look at getting. So I, 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 I hear your thing. I definitely think you can overhire, but that's, again, you'll find that out later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You won't delay. know it right away. You'll find it out later when you're told to lay a bunch of people off because the business got over. Do you know what? Again, they they are seriously, they seriously got to find this out with all the wonders of technology and the automation and AI that's coming in, all the stuff that we're sending self-service, which is brilliant because people love to do things for themselves as well, and all everything else that goes with that. But actually, Matt, you mentioned one particular metric and we should never take a metric out of context because it all yeah. tells a story. And AHT, you know, average handle time is not a goal. That is not a goal. But yet so many still look at it and say, why is it taking so long on the call? And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the goal. But what they haven't realised with this shift, that's why I said it's dynamic, with this shift with AI and everything else that they're wanting to do, Average handle times are actually going to grow bigger. They've forgotten that all the simple stuff is actually moved to the service. And now, guess what's going to happen to that leaderboard? It's like, well, hang on, average handle time is going to grow. Our average time resolution is going to grow because we're dealing with more complex and complicated calls now. So, as I've said to a few, anytime you team leader freaking out about there's so many calls in the queue it's like it's like, it's like okay time to take a breath what are we what are we actually staffing for now think about it we are yeah. staffing people for more complicated and complex style of course that means we've got to increase their cognitive thinking skill sets their problem solving skill sets we have to help widen this it, it isn't just you know, take a ticket and flick it <laughs> that, that's not which was never which was never the intent in the first place but it was the way they were treated and that's just not on yeah and it's certainly yeah. not on anymore jacob did you have something you wanted to yeah add? I, was gonna, I mean all of this is really amazing stuff it's uh in in what everyone's saying just it it, it needs to be a constant vigilance on the skill gap you know of where your team is at because whether you are over or under whatever you want to call it or you know as we get into more complex work because we're automating away the easy stuff that that happens you know that just is the way it is so you need to you know constantly be you know working with with your your team to to identify what it what they know how to do what they don't know how to do so well and help build that up for them you know not only are you helping build up that individual to to get to the next stage in their career, to the to the next rung on the ladder or whatever, but you're also helping out your team and and you know the work that is actually still in front of you to be able to to get through that. So malleability, moving resources around as needed. You know, if you are 
overstaffed their, you know, it was talk about getting new certifications and, and help honing in more skills in, in other areas or cleanup or whatever, or even, you know, possibly shifting to, to other, other parts of the organization or teams. You know, maybe there's, maybe there's places over there, but, uh, uh, and that's just as important if you are understaffed that you're putting your strongest skill sets to what, you know, is the bigger stuff coming at just, just rearranging the puzzle as you need and, and making it, making it sort of the outcome, what you need it to, to, to be, I mean, in the business, in the business sense of things, but yeah, On that's, that, a, good, that's just, a good segue for this question this. actually, where, um, someone is asking specifically, yeah. They're interested to hear everyone's opinion on the role of succession planning. You've got these gaps maybe in your skills or competencies in your organization. So how do you plan for that as part of the staffing model? We're in the midst, and Shiraz says this specifically, yeah. we're in the midst of a generational shift where more millennials are moving upward in the org chart. So how, have you seen succession planning as part of call center strategy or staffing models? I mean, for, for me, absolutely. I mean, and, and we talked about that a little bit, or we touched on it during turn, you know, the turnover question is, you know, uh, people will be in the, the supporter service team for generally a short amount of time. Uh, but I'm a firm believer that that is a fantastic organization to seed into other organizations. So that can be part of your succession planning. And then, you know, as you have you know, your needs met right now, and you're trying to read the tea leaves of the future, you you need to constantly be, uh, you know, building everybody up and, and, and set that expectation for yourself. I'm probably only going to have this individual for 12 to 18 months or however long, you know, you, you see that there. Building out that onboarding, building out, you know, those skill gap analysis to refill, you know, their knowledge of, of areas that they have gaps on, and then letting them go off into, into the next stage of their career. Um, and then backfilling that with the next person and then constantly doing that. I was told once, I can't remember exactly where I heard it, but if you're not, you know, uh, uh, had manager go to me and say, uh, what if I train them and they leave, you know, spend all this time training this individual. And then the, the response being, you know, what if you don't train them and then they stay? So you have this person who is not really, you know, performing what you need them to actually do, you know, and, and what they're doing. but um, yeah, just, constantly trying to plan that out and, and move the move everything around to to make it fit what you need it to do. Anyone else got tips for succession planning or cross training? Would love to hear what you've experienced. If you I, do I, succession planning, you are the single point of failure. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. If you're not if you don't have someone lined up for your role and you leave, what's next? Totally. Yeah, what were you gonna say, Mr. Breston? I, I like the skills framework for the internet age, mm. the, you know, Sophia. It, it, in being able to look at, this is where the organization is challenging me to go. What skills do I need? And oh. then helping people either succeed in that succession planning or going out and trying to find what skills are required. And that may include me jumping ship because I'm not right anymore. Yeah, that's a good point, right? You know, you need to know when your time is done. <laughs> Do you okay. know that's an interesting point? How many people have actually waited for their redundancy rather than leaving earlier? You, you should, you should, 
work yourself out of your role if that makes sense to some people because wanting to progress and move on and career whether it's within the same organization or not which is part of the whole succession understanding as well is saying is being able to say am i willing to make myself redundant mm. yeah that's a really like humbling thing to think about and and selfless thing to think about like hey uh, yeah Am I, am I willing? And you see this too, when there's layoffs, there are people, there are people, managers and leaders who lay themselves off to preserve some of their team. Talk about selfless leadership. Holy cow. Love that stuff. Okay. Let's go on to something more tactical because we've been talking a lot of strategic high level stuff. Let's talk about coverage, baby. Coverage of the desk, coverage of the phones. I think this is one of the it's one of the topics that's so, so important, but it's not very easy to translate, right? It's one of those it depends situations. <laughs> I would love to hear your experiences, though, about um, coverage, what you've done, what you've learned, challenges you've overcome. Let's start with Kinsey. Yeah, I mean, it depends, I think is a great um, way to start. <laughs> um, I definitely I've used geographical models. I've used product line models. Um, I've used kind of like time zone um, and then different functional models. So like, you know, different skill sets, like you need a particular thing. So I think the key is to look at your organization um, and see what makes sense. There is no coverage model to rule them all. Um, it's going to be very dependent on the business and what type of service you're, type, you're trying to deliver. Um, do you have a 24 seven requirement? Are you good with just kind of, and again, like languages come into play. So how do you stretch languages across time zones and things like that? So like, I, I think the best advice I can give is, you know, just hit around some ideas. Don't do what you did at your last company. Um, you know, think about it, just kind of wipe the state clean and just look at what are, what, what are the important vectors that I'm trying to cover and then build a few different models to look at that and then hit that around with your team. I think the other advice I would give is talk to your team about the coverage model um, because you're not the one living it. I, I just, I'm always surprised when, when people like just impose their will on the team and I'm, I'm a total fan of will and position in certain cases, but when people are working different shifts, like get their buy-in and input. Like even if it's a cacophony of voices, you can sift through that. And I think you can come to something and people will surprise you. People will volunteer for weird things that you never thought they would have tolerated or done. Um, so I, I just think team engagement, but also having a set of principles to drive your coverage model that you start out with. Again, what are we trying to accomplish as a business? Okay. We, we, we senior management never get it right because we're always looking at this money thing. So the best two people to tell us what the coverage model should be, as Quincy said, is the people who have to live this day in, day out, and the customer. So if you, like First Direct does, the online bank here in, in Britain, literally goes out and asks customers on a weekly basis, this is what we're thinking of doing. What do you guys think? And they ask you three or four simple questions. It takes like two minutes to fill in their survey, okay? But from that, they drive their model. And from that, they're the number one or number two rated bank, online bank in, in the UK. 
okay? Because they're learning from the people that in a heartbeat can lead them. Yeah. Yeah, it's design thinking. It's outside-in thinking. Ask the customers. Ask the agents. We saw this yesterday on um, Support Driven, a community uh, of support professionals. Uh, and the, someone said, you know, how, how do we cover for holidays? I, they, they were dependent specifically on people volunteering. And no one was volunteering for specific holidays. And so it was hard to fill. And add to that. And I hadn't really thought about this because I, of course, respond with suggestions of what I've learned. But then someone pointed out, well, we have unlimited vacation. We don't <laughs> give bonuses. So you have like it, less rewards yes. to, to give staff to say, hey, could you do could you cover this? And I think one of the things that came out of it was hiring diversely is a great thing. If you've got people that practice multiple different religions or from different regions um, or, or walks of life on your service desk, some of them don't celebrate those same holidays. So um, maybe they want to trade for different ones. There's tons of really good tips for this. Um, who, who else has some, some tips for coverage when it comes to, to staffing? Yeah, it, it's something that um, when you've got, um, and I and I love um, what Kinsey said too, like with geographical uh, language levels, they all play a part. But the cultural one that you just brought up, Matt, is particularly um, intensive. It doesn't matter even if you're um, not international, we still have so many multicultural issues to deal with as well. Mm. And, um, you know, shift coverage, you know, it, it comes back to a couple of key things. There are legal things that must be covered. So this is where I find that a lot of desk managers or support centre managers actually suffer is they don't always have the HR knowledge or the HR backup or understanding of the implications sometimes of how the scheduling happens. So there is an occupational health and safety side of it as well. And so, for example, even though the core business pattern said that, look, on a, on a Saturday or a Monday, we were, you know, almost 24 by 7, but we had, uh, it was necessary from an occupational health and safety to have two people on the shift, regardless mm. of what the core patterns are, minimum two people, so that with the person, if something happened, there was always someone on site or someone there that they could call on and, you know, things like that. So I think this is something... Yeah, okay, these practical things, these are things that must be put in place and understood. Um, so go and, you know, check the HR, check with your legal, check with all the things that matter in regards to, you know, covering those sorts of things as well, especially around holidays, the requirements and, and so on. But, you know, the other thing from a, a cultural perspective, and Kinsey had it right, go and ask them. Hand mm -hmm. over the stuff to your team leader. Hand over the stuff. I used to say to the guys that they had different products, different time zones, and I'd say to them, look, here's the patterns, here's the demand, here's how many people I need across these days and these weeks and whatever. That's what's needed. We managed to get it out. Originally it was two weeks. We managed to get out the schedule full weeks fairly solid. We had it out to six weeks where those two weeks were a bit, you know, fluid. And we said, if you guys want to change shifts, if you've got something personal on or if you've got this or that on, whether it's studying or family stuff, you can agree with each other to swap your shifts. I have no problem with that as long as the business is covered as needed. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Share the responsibility. It, it seems like such a risk, but it really isn't because no. you're on a team together. Pe people want Given the to, guidelines. Yeah. They want to know. Want they want to know what's right and they want to do what's right. Okay. Next question. Because this is a big one and one that I'm seeing constantly now is a lot of people are bringing support back in-house. Either they're, they they don't like their MSP or they don't like who they who they uh, sourced it to or, or it's just a psychological change like this is where we're going, this is where we're investing. And I want to tap Jacob's brain because the dude has built from scratch. So the question that I get constantly is where do I start? Do I start by hiring staff? Do I need to staff my desk or do I get tooling? What What do you recommend to someone who's either bringing something back in-house or starting their first service function? Yeah, so um, again, like with anything else, it, it depends. Uh, depends on what kind of work you have to do. Depends on the complexity and and what kind of model you're actually needing needing to cover. Do you need 24-7? Do you, I mean, there, there's all sorts of questions that is gonna kind of answer this for you. Um, however, uh, especially starting from scratch, you do need humans to to help you figure it out. So you're not, you know, a one person band trying to staff 24 seven. That's just not feasible. So, you know, you need to ask your question, the, the questions of, of what's most important. You know, you need to hit SLA and all that other fun stuff that's required um, and then start lean with your staffing one or two people and then and then make your business your growth decisions as you as you move forward um but uh those initial hires you know they 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 uh in my opinion need to have um good like just the the very unique skill set of of documenting and and you know able to to handle a lot of different processes and technologies from the get-go and be, you know, a bit more, uh, less rigid in, in their responsibilities. Uh, and they will help you, you know, figure out what needs to be done as you're moving forward. So again, there's no real straight answer for this question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe everybody else has some, some experience otherwise, but, but yeah, um, starting with, starting with your initial staff is, is probably the most important in my experience. I really like that answer because you like immediately you can imagine if I if I hire a good rock star or I hire someone like myself, then we know that we can grow it for yeah. Simone's like, oh Matt, your ego's showing. No, but I'm saying like if if the support leader, the person growing the organization has that ambition, has that drive, maybe even would have done that 24-7 support, then you know that the person that they're hiring is going to do the same and, and you can scale up that way. What what does anyone else have opinions or ideas or experiences how to how to grow a service desk from zero to some? I I I I like Jacob's answer. I I want to I want to caveat off of one of the things you said though about the tools, mm. and the tools should come last. Yes, I think all of us know or I've heard of Stuart Rance and Stuart's favorite story at a conference, especially if he's holding a beer is to tell you about how for years a service desk ran until they felt comfortable as to what they were doing on paper. Mm. Everything that they did was paper-based the, the way that they passed tickets to other parts of the organization 
you know, or, you know, it was very, there was no tool involved. It it was, Mm -hmm. if it wasn't paper, it was an Excel or Word document that somebody went and created. And then that got passed around. And once they felt comfortable that this was the type of information that they needed, and this was the type of information that they wanted to store, then they started to look for a tool and they used Moscow. Must, could, should, won't. You know, what must we have? What could we have? What should we have? And what in no way, shape, or form should we spend money for? Yeah. Then what you do is is you you go to, you know, back to your teams and you give them the brochures or the websites of some tools and go pick your favorite three. And of those three, you bring it in for a pilot and you let your teams vote on what the tool is that they want to have uh, for them. And you also let your team vote on the type of skills that they need to have. And you let your team vote on whether or not they think that's helping people. And you you let them use an NPS score. Because we're staffed like this and because we're using this type of tool, this is the way we're acting. And the internal gods aren't beating the crap out of us and customers aren't beating us up. So it must be working. It must be working. <laughs> I think this is a good point too, because if you if you start with something, then you can understand how you want to work. I, I had the pleasure of talking with David Mainville uh, recently, and he he pointed out and just reminded me the power of having your processes documented, so that when you're looking at tools, or even when you're hiring people or shifting stuff around, you have this document to kind of reflect on. It, it really builds a great great foundation. Okay, we're going to stick to two more questions. Uh, the next one is partnering with HR. How, how do we partner with HR? What should we be looking to HR to provide? What should we be expecting of HR? Uh, let's start with Simone. What have you seen that HR does well, maybe misses the ball on? What, where should we be leaning on them? That's a real tough one. It's been a very big part of my career. I come from an OCM and HR background, so um, been in a lot of murders and acquisitions, mm. to put it politely. Um, <laughs> um, I, when I was first coming manager myself, I was like, "Yay! I get my own PA and all of this." I was so excited, you know, that this would happen. Um, only to come to the period where HR was actually sort of crushed by a lot of organisations because. Believe it or not, HR suffer many of the same issues and acts that IT does. Mm. And um, so the whole learning and development side of things, the training programs, being able to um, how we do our recruiting and, and all of that became very much just straight up higher higher, you know, job role kind of stuff. It was there was not a lot of support from HR, and unfortunately, many of us managers and at line management, even going above and becoming a leader, are not given that HR experience. So do and I, but I've seen the regrowth of HR, and um, I so love it. hacking HR is one of my favourite communities. Um, absolutely adore. And so the whole issue around pay, around what the job role requires, what skill sets we should have. Fortunately, HR don't know what we 
know we need. Mm-hmm. So we need to talk to them. Yet they send us a form and say, fill out a nice template of a job role. Um, and that doesn't always encounter the human side of stuff. And yeah, it we need to have our relationship. I would push for anybody in in ITSF or any leader role please go sit with your HR and saying, what are all the different aspects I need to consider? What do I need to tell you so we get the right people in the right place at the right time doing the right things? Mm, love it. Oh, that's a good tip right there, right? Because that's that's basically what you're trying to do. Collaborate. And yeah, you collaborate on it. Like, let's you brainstorm. Part of the same organization. Yeah, you have to meet halfway. You need to teach them about service and support. They need to teach you about recruiting and staffing. I love it. Yeah, become a destination company. Mm-hmm. That's really okay. the key. You want to be the place where people come to. A person yes. is not a ticket, but a ticket represents a person's experience. Yep. That's a great one. I love that. You you want to be that place that people want to be. Jacob, Kinsey, have either of you got uh, input that you want to leverage or uh, share with the audience? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, like HR obviously is is uh, dependent on the stage of, of the company you're at. I do a lot of startups and things like that. But yeah, teaming with your HR and, and you know, as you especially are needing to build out your leadership and management teams, I am a huge advocate for for doing as much promotion from within as you possibly can, as you know, if that wasn't clear, trying to trying to get people to that next stage. Uh, and quite often when you're doing that, that, you know, doesn't have a lot of uh, people don't tend to have a lot of that leadership or, or experience, which often comes from HR background or some sort of business background. So teaming with your HR teams to ensure that you're, you know, any any trainings or, or resources that you can have. Uh, in that regard, uh, I have found to be very helpful. Uh, and then also uh, working with HR because they are, you know, when you're when you're attempting to develop your culture. So you you have a, a very specific culture and you want it to be welcoming. We talk about the destination place to live. I mean, the HR is going to tr- be trying to do that for the entire company. And then as you're teaming with your HR team, you can make sure that you're you're attempting to to adopt and, and nurture all those culture things that they are attempting to do. Mm-hmm. So you can go ahead and you know, disseminate that across your team or plural teams, right? Depending on what, what you need. So they're a fantastic resource for you. They are, you know, your people's team um, and they're going to help you on the day to day do all of that. And then, you know, obviously they're your resource for when you find yourself in trouble and you need that help, which is of course what HR is there to, to try to help you out. So, so in terms of you know, addressing problems or any of those other concerns, but we're getting, yeah, into into all that other exciting stuff of just managing people, which yeah, ugly parts too. And HR is definitely going to help you with that. <laughs> it's an art form and it something is. that you know you can study your whole life, and man, you'll still hire a ringer, and yeah. one day they will challenge everything you know about leading people and managing yeah. people. Definitely, Kinsey, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I think something to be cognizant of is the rise of uh, talent in in HR and people departments. So the the functions becoming a bit bifurcated. So it's really important to think about working with talent managers that are not necessarily um, your classic HR business partners. So I think you know understanding and understanding that they have incentives um, and they may not align with your incentives, right? So in you know in the kind of pre pandemic. Uh, 
kind of the middle pandemic when people were hiring like bananas, a lot of talent people had really high um, expectations as far as like bringing people in the organizations so we all had to grow 10 million X. Um, and the challenge is you may not want to grow that fast because you want to filter for quality, not mm -hmm. quantity mm -hmm. and the talent incentives, contrary to what they say, may not align closely with what you're trying to do there. So, you know, I, one of the pieces of tensions I've experienced is interview length, you know, <laughs> when, when it was like, get on the mill, we just got to hire people. Everyone wanted like three interviews tops and my interviews pet cadence is typically five to seven. I mean, I'm even for entry roles and I know like that's heresy and some, but that's what I like. And it works for me. I generally hire good people. So, but when your talent team's saying like, Hey man, this is taking too long. You got, you got to move faster. Like, you know, standing your ground there with them, I think is really important. And the way I do that is by scripting out, like having very well-documented interview processes. So not mm. interview scripts, but interview processes. So I can go to them and say, I am really good at interviewing and I'm really good at building these processes. And you guys are really good at sourcing candidates for me. So let's work together, but yes. don't tell me how to interview because I'm the hiring manager. That's my job. And I think hiring managers outsource that stuff way too much at their peril. Um, so take control of your hiring process. That would be the first thing and document it. So you're a credible player. You don't, again, it doesn't need to be a 70 page handbook, just a page, a document saying, Hey, we do this interview. Then we do this interview and this interview. These are the outcomes we're looking for. That's simple enough, but you got to be credible. If you're going to contest with people who see themselves as interviewing experts, um, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll fight that fight every day, but I got to come prepared. That's so true. And great advice, you know, stand up for yourself. You really do oh, need yeah. to. And um, we've got a, a comment here that Peter made specifically that another issue is the pay rate of service desk and support professionals. They're very often very lowly paid and there is often not a really possible uh, possibility to grow in salary. And Daniel, I know that you mentioned uh, you put in a response in chat, but Peter can't see it because he's on LinkedIn. So what did what was your response? So let me get this right. The business decision is to pay the people that get the first phone call from a consumer or customer the least amount of money. That's a business decision. That is what's going to keep your, your, your organization, private or public, okay, in good terms. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the same argument that's going on now with all the strikes here in England, you know, we pay the nurses the least, but they're the people who live day in, day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and the junior doctors second least, okay? So they're striking. Hey guys, this isn't right. So I think all the service desk people should strike. Wow, interesting. <laughs> I have had that in the back of my mind uh, very recently that that's something that we might be able to pull off. I, I thought about a, um, a union, like imagine a union and think about the benefits of a union in the service industry, you know, mental health, pay, you know, reasonable you, hours. You could, you could put that into that model that you're building. 
I know it's very European in me to say it, so I just had to put it out there. <laughs> you, you know, Matt, it, it's really it, it's really quite interesting to think about that. I actually ask that question every training course that I have. I do ask that question because I had uh, in one national um, support desk that I had my team in Sydney was yeah freewheeling and and whoever they wanted to be and whoever i had but my team in were unionized they were actually part of the union and which is another thing that i think a lot of support center managers and things don't realize that the other things that can take place like what's the differences between your teams wherever they are and it was it took a different focus and of management for one team versus the other team, just purely because of the nature of that, which was really, I found really interesting. And the other thing is, I don't think a lot of organizations realized, and uh, for those of us that have been in the uniform services before, we understand what it is to be first responders. We understand what mm. it means to be on the front line. Yet what a lot of people didn't, focus or didn't see was how much service desk was on the front line during yeah. that pandemic crisis and any other crisis because they they are the central point of communication they are that pivot point they they did so many things and there's many stories out there and i do ask people to look at those it support stories but you know our service desk is one of the most unfunded life and business saving interaction points the pressure, the angst, the incredible acrobatic skills, the emotional agility that these guys develop and display that, you know, look, I'm not a human resource. I come from that environment too. I, you know, I'm not a human resource. I'm not something to be consumed and plundered. I'm not an asset, okay? I'm a human being, nothing ticked off on the financial checklist. And I'm not human capital. You don't own me. And you don't get more of me when I'm gone. Yeah. Yeah. Peter's counterpoint to this is that not many people in the service and hospitality industry would leave their post or would go on strike, right? So no, many of us because are because of our passion and our focus yes. and our and our talent to be where it is. So should we get paid for the talent that we have? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love the way you put it. Okay. So we're close to time, but I do want to give you all uh, just a moment. So real quick, where can people connect with you and learn more? Simone. Oh, uh, you can go LinkedIn normal, snapshot bio. It's all there. Any other questions, you can also go to my website, which is just www.simonejoemore.com. All right. Kinsey, where can people oh, find you? LinkedIn's in by far the easiest way to, to find me. Mr. Jacob White. Same, same. LinkedIn would be the best place it has all my contact info and ways to get a hold of me and schedule a call mr breston i call matt yeah just call <laughs> me i'll put you in touch with daniel if you call me definitely i want to thank you no, all for being here. i want to thank you for your time for being on this podcast and taking the time to provide your insight thank you so much thank you thank you and for our audience, did you know that you can join a live episode? That's exactly what we were doing here. So hopefully you figured that out by this point. <laughs> and speaking of ticket volume, did you know that this podcast is brought to you by Invigate? 
It's a fit-for-purpose service desk solution with integrated asset management designed to let you focus on supporting your organization without arduous implementations. In fact, service teams from Toyota, NASA, and McDonald's use Invigate to manage requests, automate workflows, and centralize inventory data so that they can focus on delivering better service. Because good service is good business. Have a great weekend, everybody.